Hi, I'm David Peskovitz. And I'm Mark Frauenfelder. And you're listening to For Future Reference, a podcast from the Institute for the Future. In every episode of For Future Reference, we talk with scientists and engineers whose forward-thinking research has the potential to transform our lives over the coming decade. At Institute for the Future a few years ago, we did a forecast looking at the future of robotics. And we were thinking about how there was a shift from robots that would mimic human behavior to using robots to decode our behaviors and understand ourselves even better. You know, there's an array of emerging technologies that are giving us more insight into ourselves, medical scanners, implantable sensors, context-aware computers, um, even the Internet of Things that's delivering just rivers of new data about our bodies and our minds and the way we move throughout our environments and the tasks that we perform. Once we start to understand that data, it'll be easier to program our machines to interact with us in helpful, natural, and even user-friendly ways. Eventually, there might even be a human user manual as an essential reference used by robots to understand the wetware that, that created them. Today on For Future Reference, our guest is Nora Ayanyan. I really imagine a world that's kind of like the Jetsons, where we have robots all around us. A University of Southern California roboticist who studies people in order to develop new kinds of robot systems that collaborate and coordinate their behavior. I think something that's interesting about what Nora does is it's kind of like the old saying, no man is an island. She has a viewpoint that no robot is an island and that uh, things get really interesting when robots work together as teams. Hey, Nora, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing fine. Maybe just start by telling us your name, what you do, and, and where you do it. My name is Nora Ayanyan, and I'm a professor at the University of Southern California in the Computer Science Department. And I do research on multi-robot coordination, so getting teams of robots to work together. Tell us what you mean by that. What, what is the problem that you're trying to solve with your research? Uh, so my vision uh, for my research is for robots actually to become an integral part of our daily lives to make our lives better and easier and all sorts of those things. Uh, so I work on developing coordination algorithms and controllers to actually get teams of robots to do what we want them to do, even without expert knowledge. So you wouldn't need me to be there to tell your robots what to do. You could do it yourself. My research is basically trying to enable collaboration and communication uh, for robots across all different kinds of problems, things like environmental monitoring to supply chains and all kinds of stuff. When you talk about robots, you know, obviously what comes to mind initially are, you know, is C-3PO on one end of the spectrum and the Roomba on the other or maybe maybe drones. You know, what kind of robots are you, are you really talking about? What, what are the robots like that you work with that you know and love? Um, so actually, I work on all different kinds of robots. Um, I work on uh, ground vehicles, actually. Um, so we use refurbished Roombas in a lab called the iRobot Create. Um, we use UAVs, uh, so quadrotors, um, a.k.a. drones, I guess. Um, we use everything. One of the things that I thought was interesting in an earlier interview I read is that you sometimes refer to the robots as people. Why, why is that? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, robots are actually a huge part of my life, and I spend a lot of my time thinking about them. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, people spend time thinking about people, and I spend a lot of time thinking about robots. So when I'm trying to explain, you know, what they're doing or, you know, how they should do something, I often say, okay, and this person should do that. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, no, it's not a person. It's a robot. But for me, it's, it's, it's not that it's interchangeable. It's just that they're such a big part of my life um, so that, you know, the way that other people talk about people, I talk about robots. <laughs> so, you know, watching the demonstrations of the, the drones in flight, like the coordinated, synchronized, beautiful movements that they make is really spellbinding. Can you explain in, in high-level terms how how you're able to achieve this? They, yeah, the robots look a little bit like they're uh, they they look like they're uh, uh, synchronized swimmers or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's very coordinated. So in the the videos that we have on our YouTube channel for my lab, uh, the Act Lab at USC, uh, we have you know some pretty impressive. I mean, even to me, pretty impressive uh, videos that show 49 UAVs flying together, uh, which is, to my knowledge, the first time that that was done indoors. Uh, so it was definitely not a small feat. But uh, basically, we use an external motion capture system uh, in order to help us determine where the robots actually are. And the reason for that is that the robots that we're using are really small. Uh, imagine trying to fit 50 robots into a space and do something interesting. They'd have to be pretty small. Um, and so, how small? Really, how small are they? Um, they are very lightweight and about the size of your palm. Wow. Wow. Yeah, maybe a little bit bigger with the rotors, but they basically fit in your palm. Um, and so they're very small. They can't carry any, you know, anything other than what's already on them. I mean, they you can maybe put a couple of grams of stuff on them, but you can't put on a a better computer, you can't put on a better camera, they don't have a camera. Uh, so you really can't do localization on board, and what that means is that the robot can't figure out on its own where it is. So it does have some sensors on board. It has uh, accelerometers, and so we use kind of that information um, to supplement basically what's coming from our external motion capture system. And the reason that it's challenging is that in order for you to send all of that information to the robots, you're using a lot of bandwidth. Um, and so even though the external motion capture system you know, can figure out where the robots are, you really can't send it to the robots fast enough. And so we use both a combination of kind of using the sensors that are actually on board the robot as well as supplementing that with the information that comes from the external motion capture system. Interesting. So what can you tell me, you know, if these if these small little flying robots can't have anything on them that isn't already on them, you know, what what do we need these coordinated uh, uh, systems of robots or these swarms of robots moving around? That's a that's a good question. Uh, so the the point is, is so for my research, the point is not to actually solve a very specific problem. Like, I'm not trying to develop a robot platform that will do a specific task. I'm trying to come up with, um, with ways for robots to actually work together. Um, and so that could be, like, you know, moving packages around. It could be, you know, self-driving cars. Um, and so we're not actually using the platforms that eventually these algorithms will show up on. Uh, it's just kind of a proof of concept. Um, also, it looks really cool, right? <laughs> yeah, it really looks cool. So apart from the fact that the, a lot of the computation is not local, how closely is this uh, 
these multi-robot systems, how closely is their behavior related to, like, flocks of birds or schools of fish? Did you study those kinds of things, and, and do you see any similarities in the way that they kind of respond to each other's, uh, uh, you know, local neighbors to, to make changes in their position and speed? Um, okay, so so one thing is that a majority of the computation is actually done on board. Um, it's just that they get uh, information about their location from a, a server. Um, so they do most of the computation on board. They they actually merge the information. So they do the sensor fusion on board as well, which is actually pretty complicated. Um, and so um, and they also have all of the information about you know where they're supposed to go on board already. So we wirelessly send them that information in advance. So most of the computation is on board. It's just that the localization is off board. Um, so, and, and on to your real question. <laughs> um, with regards to kind of birds and fish, I've thought about that. Um, and there are actually people in robotics that do study those kinds of things. Um, but to me, it never really made sense. Um, to copy birds and fish because they don't necessarily, well, maybe I shouldn't say that, but they don't necessarily do the things that I want um, my systems to be able to do. So those are kind of like swarm systems where, you know, you want the entire team of robots to do something um, kind of very general. And in general, in swarms, there's a lot of things that you can't guarantee. Like you can't necessarily guarantee that all of your robots will actually make it to where you want them to go. Uh, so I work actually normally on smaller groups of robots where we have kind of specific tasks that we want them to accomplish. Um, and they're not all doing the same thing. Um, and so what kind of happened was I was thinking about how, um, you know, how these robots could actually be better, getting very, very frustrated at how far we've come in, in multi-robot systems. Um, and so I was like, why is nobody studying the way that people interact with each other? So, you know, if you've ever worked in a group with others, you, you know, what usually happens is that based on everybody's skills, you actually, you know, come up with uh, a task allocation, right? Each person kind of takes on what they're the best at. Um, and this kind of naturally emerges out of your interactions with each other. And I was like, well, I can't robots do that. Uh, so I started thinking about it and started working on it and realized that, you know, of course, humans are very complex. We have a lot of different capabilities than robots do. And so uh, it's not that easy just to analyze the way that humans work together. You actually have to kind of dumb it down. Maybe not dumb it down, but you have to modify the, the way that, you know, humans interact in order to actually get something that you can apply to robots. And the nice thing about humans is that you can also ask them questions. Um, and so, so, you know, if you're trying to ask them, like, okay, how did you determine that you should do this and that this other person should do that, they'll, they'll actually give you an answer. And I am, so far, I don't think there's a way of talking to birds and to fish. Uh, and so that's kind of how I got to, you know, one of the problems that I'm working on now is how do you actually uh, learn from human coordination in order to get robots to coordinate better? Can you take us through, you know, an example of, of a particular task or scenario that that you would want the robots to do and then how you you know uh, analyzed how humans do it in order to to you know program i hate to say the word teach the robots to to do the same thing yeah so actually we're starting at something that's really kind of basic how does actually how does leadership actually emerge out of uh, out of a team of humans wow um and so not we're not really at the specific task stage just yet uh but 
it's actually a lot of times when we're programming robots, we kind of say, oh, okay, we'll assign this one as the leader because just because it's convenient. Um, or maybe it has the most computational power or, you know, but a lot of times in, you know, in human coordination in, you know, in work groups, uh, it's not, you know, it's something that comes out of either the capabilities or the circumstances or the task that you're doing. Um, and so, what we're trying to you know, figure out right now is, okay, if we have a bunch of people working together, um, and the way we do this is through an online game. So I mentioned earlier that you kind of have to modify the way that humans interact with each other. We actually don't have any easy way of turning communication off, right? If I'm talking to a person, mm -hmm. they can hear from the inflection in my voice, they can see in my face. Uh, I mean, I'm communicating something to them different than what I'm actually saying. Um, and so we can't actually manage to turn that off. And believe me, we've tried. <laughs> we've actually had um, uh, groups of uh, like middle school kids uh, trying to get them to act like robots. And, you know, you can't really get them to stop talking and stop gesturing towards each other. Um, and a, so we built an online game. As a parent, I can tell you that's true. <laughs> so we built an online game where we basically remove all explicit communication. So there's no way for one person to send a message to another person. Um, and they basically play this game on a shared playing field. And uh, we ask them to kind of form shapes. And so in the shapes that we're forming right now, it's just circles and squares. Uh, the circle is kind of different because there doesn't necessarily need to be, uh, everybody's kind of an equal on the circle. But in a square or a rectangle, you have these, these people that form the corners. So how do you actually decide that you're going to be the corner? How does everybody else decide that you're going to be the corner? Um, and so that is kind of, you know, it, it seems like a very um, abstract thing to study, but it's something that, you know, we really don't have a lot of quantitative insight into. Um, so people have studied, you know, human work groups and how leadership emerges, but that's not something that we can take and say, okay, now I'm going to turn this into an algorithm and put it on my robots. Um, so we're trying to kind of come up with some, you know, quantitative ways of actually doing that in a semi-robot-like environment. Are there any current examples of multi-robot systems in the real world right now? Uh, absolutely. Uh, so it's been in manufacturing for a long time. Um, it's in warehousing. So uh, that's how you get your packages in two days or less. Uh, they've basically turned the warehousing paradigm upside down. Instead of the people going and picking the packages off of the shelves, um, the shelves actually come to the people. And so each of the shelves is kind of picked up by a robot, moved to the person who's packing. And so that's, you know, that's how drop shipments, or well, not drop shipments, but that's how, you know, shipments are getting to us faster and faster. Um, they're, you know, also working in mining, um, so there's lots of multi-robot systems. Uh, we might just not know about all of them. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you, you could imagine that as robots start to um, infiltrate, if you will, um, <laughs> our daily lives over the next decade um, and move out of factories um, and move out of structured environments, that the kind of multi-robotic systems that you're working on are going to be increasingly important. Can you describe, um, you know, a, a, a world in which this kind of research you're doing and others are doing in this field could have, you know, the most impact? How could it change the way we live? I mean, can you uh, imagine a world um, where multi-robot systems are, are 
everywhere. I really imagine a world that's kind of like the Jetsons, where we have robots kind of all around us and that the robots are not necessarily part of a... Um, like one multi-robot system, but just, you know, systems of robots kind of all around us. Um, and so that's kind of my vision for, you know, what I would like the future to be like. Um, but, you know, I'm sure that you, everybody's heard of the Internet of Things and, you know, all these connected devices that we have, our cars, our phones, our homes, buildings, everything is kind of connected now. Um, and so I think that even though we won't have the structured environments, like we're not going to have motion capture outdoors. That's it's just not a feasible thing. Um, but using basically the sensors that are all around the robots uh, in order to help them figure out where they are, you know, whether they're what they're doing is OK. Um, I think that, you know, this they're definitely going to be part of this, you know, connected world that we live in uh, and really benefit from this entire Internet of Things movement. Well, yeah. So, you know, when we were doing some research on the future of robotics at the Institute for the Future, um, Ken Goldberg, a roboticist at Berkeley, talked to us about this idea of almost like a social network for robots where robots could learn um, various activities in the real world and then share what they've learned, um, you know, with other robots, um, you know, that were were part of their network. And that's kind of what this reminds me of in a way. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I don't think that is only limited to robots learning from other robots. I think that they can benefit from, you know, information that's all around them. And that's something that we don't, um, we can't really, I mean, we can study it now, but it's, uh, it's hard to know what the future is going to look like so that we can, you know, best prepare for, you know, benefiting from all of the information that's going to be surrounding us. I mean, we create information at an alarming rate or data. We create data at an alarming rate. Um, and it's just becoming more and more every day. And, uh, and so why not actually use that data? So, Nora, what, what's like the big challenge that, that you need to solve or, or the big next breakthrough that's going to, to really make this uh, multi-robot coordination world explode in a big way? So I think that um, kind of going back to what I said about, you know, human coordination and how leadership emerges um, and how everybody kind of ends up doing a different thing in a, you know, while, while working in a work group. Um, I think that uh, we're definitely going to have to think a little bit more about uh, diversity in teams of robots and not diversity in the sense that the robots are different or they're capable of doing different things, but kind of attacking problems in different ways. So one of the reasons that it's hard for, to bring robots out of the lab is because, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, what's the best controller for this task? Um, and, you know, what's the best control policy and the best coordination algorithm? But a lot of times we're making assumptions about what the environment is going to be like when, you, when we're actually using the controller. And then if the environment is slightly different, then it becomes kind of difficult for the controller to really be effective. Um, and in, you know, in the worst case, it fails miserably. In the best case, it does okay. Um, and so I think that we're going to have to think about how, not necessarily how we can make fewer assumptions, because I think that just saying, okay, I'm going to solve the problem, I'm going to solve the problem that solves everything. Um, and that, that's really you know, not possible. But I think you know, coming up with multiple different ways that robots could attack the same problem and using these solutions synergistically, I think that that is going to be the way of the future. You know, you've made solitary robots seem 
really boring and outdated, and <laughs> multi-robot teams <laughs> seem like that's the future. Is is that is that how I'm you glad feel? You, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that, uh, you know, single robots have their place. Um, but, you know, single robots can't be everywhere at once. And sometimes you need robots to be everywhere at once. Um, and so if robots are sharing the same space, they're sharing space with humans, they're sharing space with each other and with other, you know, with, with other animals and, and everything else that's going on in the environment, um, there needs to be a lot of kind of awareness of uh, of you know the way things move and how they should coordinate because if you have you know more than uh, more than one robot you should be able to use it to its fullest capability and you know what we say in multi robot systems is that if you have uh, you want the the system to be more than just the sum of the parts um, and so the best applications for multi robot systems are not necessarily that if you have n robots you want it to do something n times faster you really want to get something much more out of your system than just that so there's definitely a place for uh, you know for single robot systems and uh, uh, but there's also a place for multi robot systems can you give um you know one of the examples that i've seen cited um of multi robot systems of course is uh uh for farming um, and coordinating, you know, groups of robots to survey your field, for example, what are some others? You know, how might someone, uh, you know, in ten years, uh, what what might, you know, be my benefit of of being able to, um, you know, interact or use a, a multi robotic system? A lot of the kind of the difficult problems we haven't really thought of, you know, where they could actually be yet, uh, because they. Because of these challenges of the robots kind of coming out of the lab and coming out of these structured and highly controlled environments, um, but I imagine you know uh, like fire rescue, firefighting, um, mm -hmm. any kind of search and rescue. I think that you know these are places that you know multi robot systems will make a huge impact and something that you know would be highly visible. Um, also, you know inspecting infrastructure. So, you know, people climb up these uh, cell phone towers to inspect them. It's, you know, it's really not safe. Um, you know, they're like hanging, hanging out like, you know, 50 feet in the air, however high these things are. Um, and so robots will definitely help with, with those kinds of things for sure. And, and, and you know, many, many more. Uh, they'll help keep our environment clean. They can do environmental monitoring. Um, they'll be doing you know, security kind of tasks. Um, basically, you know, anywhere that you can imagine that you need kind of more than one person, I, I imagine that, uh, you know, that multi-robot systems will, will be there one day. Nora, what inspires you? We really only touch the tip of the iceberg in, in what multi-robot systems can actually do. And so, you know, these really difficult problems like, you know, saving lives by putting fewer first responders at risk, you know, for, for forest fires, for, you know, searching uh, collapsed buildings, for example, after an earthquake or something. Um, so these are definitely problems that, you know, that, that I know that we can make a huge impact. But not only just these kinds of, you know, dramatic areas, but also, you know, just making our lives a lot easier. So, you know, one day, you know, having a Rosie the robot will be kind of normal. And, uh, you know, our lives will be, you know, so much easier. I guess that's what they say. <laughs> we all think that cell phones would make our lives easier, but in some senses, <laughs> they made it a little bit more challenging. <laughs> <laughs> 
Fantastic. Thank you so much. This is amazing work. Nora, this has been so great hearing from you about your work with multi-robot coordination. It's fascinating. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you guys. Good questions. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking Thanks, the time Nora. out of your day. My pleasure. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye, Nora. Bye. Of course, David, knowing you the, the and, and me, the vision of Nora had about the Jetsons is like really appealing to me and it's like kind of refreshing hearing that from someone because I think that a lot of scientists and, and kind of the world in general has shied away from that as being too utopian. Absolutely. But I, I think what, what really she was getting at, which I think is really interesting, is the 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 ability for robots to do many different tasks in unstructured environments, which is really what the Jetsons or what our world is, you know, and it also makes us reconsider what a robot even is. You know, there's this this uh, story I once heard that um, there was a robotics professor at MIT who on the first day of class would um, ask his students to just, um, for their intro to robotics class, just uh, uh, spend a few minutes, you know, drawing, scribbling on the back of an envelope, a design for a robot that could wash dishes. And the next class, everyone would come in with these drawings of these complicated contraptions that would pick up a dish and then scrub it with soap and then rinse it off and then dry it and then put it in a drying rack, you know, almost like C-3PO, but, you know, with just arms um, and a head. And then the professor actually would just say, well, you know, these are all great, but you can actually buy a robot that washes dishes for about 250 bucks down at Sears, <laughs> you, you know, and so it just makes you rethink what what it means to, to, you know, have robots around you and that they may not look like what you expect them to look like. Yeah, I remember another roboticist said like a great example of a, a new robot that a lot of people were starting to buy but didn't realize was a robot was a bread maker. <laughs> oh, that's really, that's really you good. Know, it's programmed to do different things. It, it, it not only, you know, mixes the flour in the water, but it bakes it and, and can do different kinds of breads and things like that. So I think, yeah, it, it, in a way it's the same as uh, artificial intelligence. The the word art, artificial intelligence probably should never have been applied to to what is going on in that, in that field of research. And then the same with robotics, too. We aren't really going to... And like Kevin Kelly said, as soon as someone comes up with something a breakthrough in artificial intelligence, they just move the goalposts. They say, oh, that's not really AI. Or they just call it something else. It's yeah. now called fuzzy logic. Yeah. Now it's called autonomous driving. Exactly. Or, you know, they just they just change the name. But I really like this idea of, um, you know, it's a different mindset that, that robots aren't going to be, you know, in most cases, just replacing humans, but that the, the, the best that's going to come out of, you know, the coming... Uh, a robotic boom um, will be new kinds of collaborations where people get to do what it is that people do really well and robots um, do what they do really well. Yeah. And the other thing that, that kind of stood out for me was the fact that uh, what uh, Nora's doing is not swarms. It's not uh, flocks of birds. It's not schools of fish. And in her idea that you aren't really getting useful work out of that and, and that you have to think of these robots more like teams of people. 
with a leader too, which is really interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting to think about how you know leadership emerges. And I love that she's studying leadership um, in groups of people uh, and what what that looks like to understand um, how robots could, I guess, elect <laughs> elect their leaders or, or or a particular leader could be programmed. And I. You know what happens when people when people or what happens when robots revolt against the the leader and also how teams of humans and teams of robots will work together and merge and, and coordinate is really fascinating too yeah, and I like the idea that you know she's studying people to to better program robots because I think that by Developing these kinds of robots and robotic systems that she's talking about will actually gain insight into how people operate as well and perhaps, you know, be able to apply some of the lessons back to groups of people to optimize um, our own collaboration and our own group dynamics. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for listening to For Future Reference. I'm David Peskovitz. And I'm Mark Frauenfelder. For more information about Institute for the Future and to subscribe to the For Future Reference podcast, visit iftf.org. For Future Reference is underwritten by a grant from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation with production support from Parker Yesko and BMP Audio. Greg Fleischett composed the music.